The reading is Psalm 93 and can be found on page 601 of the Church Bibles. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alexandra. Well, I guess we had hoped to come together this evening, having witnessed uh, football coming home and uh, being able to say that England rules okay, but uh, sadly it wasn't to be. Instead, it looks like France rules okay, allez les bleus and all that. Um, and the rest of the news this past week, there's been major division in the, the cabinet, high-profile departures, speculation about how long Theresa May will stay in power. But for now at least, Theresa, Theresa May does rule okay. We've had a visit from the ruler of thus to be the most powerful nation in the world who would maybe like to think that he is the one who rules. But of course, whether it's in the world of sport or politics, no team or human being rules for long. People come and go and have little long-term influence over the world in which we live. And if we put our trust in human beings, whether in the world of sport or politics, um, health or, or whatever, we would probably be very anxious people. But fortunately we don't need to do that because we have one who rules for eternity and not a weak creature, but a powerful creator. And that is, of course, God himself. I wonder what you understand by God's sovereignty or to say that the Lord reigns. How important to your faith is the knowledge that God reigns? Well, I want to suggest that it's actually fundamental to our knowledge of God and our relationship with him. And that is an inadequate understanding of God's sovereignty that can lead to a weak faith and a half-hearted commitment. Trouble is often we just don't really think about God's sovereignty. Um, It's maybe only when a natural disaster happens, like the recent flooding in Japan, which has caused over 200 deaths, or Hurricane Maria that caused so much destruction in the Caribbean last year. And it, it may be events like that that cause us to actually be embarrassed by the concept of God's sovereignty. Because people may show, well, it just shows that there is no God. That he's either incapable of controlling nature or he doesn't really care. Well, hopefully, rather than make us embarrassed, this uh, passage um, this evening will give us greater confidence 
in God as we think of his role, his world, and uh, our role in that. But let's start by looking at what it means to say that the Lord reigns or that he's robed in majesty, as it says here. To what extent is that different from the position of a sovereign state? A few years ago, you may remember, we, we witnessed the overthrow of many sovereign powers in the, the Middle East. Before that, we had the, the overthrow of the, the communist governments in, uh, in Eastern Europe in 1989 by the people of those countries. And it's raised the question of what makes a sovereign power? Well, it's normally understood as having the, the power to rule together with the right to rule. A sovereign state can uh, maintain its power to rule through oppression. For example, in North Korea and other countries like that. But to the extent it oppresses its people and treats them unjustly, then it loses its legitimacy. It loses its right to rule. Because a ruler should be looking after the interests of their people. And the end result may be that the people rise up against their, the sovereign state and cause it to lose its power to rule. In Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe lost his legitimacy, his right to rule because of economic mismanagement and widespread corruption, um, white racism, human rights abuses. But you can also have legitimacy but no power. Dalai Lama, for example, has a legitimacy amongst the people of Tibet but no power as he can't do much in exile. So if we ask the same question of God, what gives him the right and the power to rule? Well, first of all, the Lord has the right and power to rule over what he has created. Twice in the first two lines, we're told the Lord is robed in majesty. And the reason it's repeated is um, it's, uh, it's poetry. It's a poetic device to emphasize the importance of it. As people, human beings, we, we might put on robes to show others that we have a certain position. So some Anglican ministers may uh, put on robes to show they are vicars uh, or, or bishops. Um, our queen will put on robes to show that she is queen. When I take a, a funeral or a crematorium for someone um, uh, where the people they don't really know who I am, I might put a dog collar on to show that I'm the person leading the, the service. We can put on certain clothes to make people respond to us in a certain way. God doesn't put on clothes to show that he's God so that he can be picked out of a, of a crowd. He clothes himself with attributes. And so this is a picture of God clothing himself with majesty, which is part of his nature. The attribute of majesty is to him what purple robes are to an earthly king. He also, it says, he arms himself with strength. To say is armed with strength or literally he has put strength on as his belt, is to, to explain an aspect of his sovereignty, which is his strength and power to create. But what gives him the right to take on this role as king? The answer comes in the next line in verse 2. 
or the end of verse 1. Indeed, the world is established, firm, and secure. What gives God the right to rule over the world is that he's created it. And if you've created something and you've chosen to create it, that is nobody told you to or commissioned you to, then you are the owner of it. Think how much um, satisfaction you might have when you have created something. Maybe a, a beautiful garden, an amazing painting or a, or a photo, maybe a piece of music. Or for parents, if they've uh, had a baby, there's a real feeling of, this is mine, I, I made it. Revelation 4 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God created all things and chose to create them. And therefore, as his created beings, we are, we are owned by him. We belong to him. And that concept of being created by God is fundamental to our grasp of sin. The reason why many people just don't get sin, because they, they don't see sin as rejecting the rule of the one who made them. They don't believe they were made by him, and that they therefore owe him anything. Yes, there may be some God out there somewhere who had something to do with, with creating the world in which we live, but he couldn't personally have taken any interest in me. Some people will feel they were just a, an accident. Maybe their, their parents didn't really mean to have them. But this all-powerful God is also Yahweh. He's the Lord. Not just a creator God, but one who wants a relationship with the people he's made. And so he has a right to, to rule over them because he made them. Psalm 24 is a bit more explicit. There it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Everything in this world, including the people who live in it, belong to the Lord. And whereas sovereign states may have a right to, to rule over a small area of land because God has given them that, God has the right to rule over the whole world, over the whole universe. So what is this world like that God has created? If it was one that could self-destruct at any moment, that could be sucked down a black hole or be burnt up by the sun, then we might be right in thinking, actually, I don't owe much allegiance to the one who created it. My survival on this planet is, is down to me and the people on it. It'll be a bit like somebody giving you a, a brand new home for nothing. You're incredibly grateful until you realize that actually the wiring could cause a fire and burn the house down at any moment, or it's built on a floodplain and it could be submerged in the next heavy rains. But that is not the world in which we live, because at the end of verse 1, it says the world is established firm and secure but what does that mean on the one hand it's designed to function perfectly that each element does exactly the right thing for life to be sustained let me read from John Blanchard's book um, A Science Got Rid of God which some of you may uh, be familiar with this is what um, he says 
for earth to function as it does in sustaining life, there needs to be an extremely complex and exact arrangement of terrestrial and extraterrestrial elements. To give some of the best known examples, the size of earth, its rotational speed, the tilt of its axis relative to the plane of its orbit, its distance from the sun, and its land-water ratio all have to be correct. We need light, but not too much ultraviolet. Heat, but not too much. We need the Earth's magnetic field to shield us from cosmic rays, atmosphere over our heads to shield us from meteorites, and a screen of rock under our feet to prevent us from being incinerated. Now you might be thinking, well if it's so finely tuned, it must be pretty fragile. Surely if something were to get out of balance by a fractional amount, the whole thing would collapse. And if we thought that it only came into existence by chance, then that would be true, and I would be pretty worried. Because when you think about it, we trust in the laws of physics all the time, don't we? We might not like flying, but we we trust that the plane is held up in the air by the laws of physics. What if those laws were to suddenly change randomly? we would crash to the ground. But the fact that I believe that God made it in this way, and he tells us in the Bible that he made it in this way, with certain laws of nature and laws of physics, gives me a huge sense of confidence that he can keep it just so finely tuned to keep it going. And if God has made it, and he's in control not just of our little solar system, But of every one of the billions of solar systems and galaxies in the universe, then we have nothing to fear. But then we read verse 3 and 4, and the sense of peace and order seems to disappear. Here we read of pounding waves, we read of roaring seas or floods. And the the repetition again serves for emphasis. Verse 3, have a look at verse 3. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Now, I don't know about you, but what immediately comes to my mind is tsunamis. I remember when I was working in um, an area of finance called Project Finance in the in the 90s, and we had to negotiate. Um, complex legal documents to ensure all the, the risks were taken care of in the, in the project um, so that the, the banks would get their money back. And the force majeure clause was always the most difficult because um, that was the big get out. Uh, and in amongst all the other the rare occurrences was this funny word tsunami. And um, in those days nobody really ever heard of it and said, well, what, is, what on earth is that? Of course today you won't find many people who don't know what a Tsunami is. You've not seen the destructive consequences of a tsunami on TV. But even when this psalm was written, the psalmist knew the power of the sea. And yet, it says here, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. But if he's so mighty, then why does he allow them to happen? Why does he allow the floods in Japan, the the earthquake in Mexico last year? 
We can point to, to human failings that cause the, the effects of these disasters to, to multiply massively. If those buildings had been constructed well in the first place, if corruption hadn't siphoned off money, etc. But why does God allow it to happen? And the fact is we don't know. But we do know that we live in a world that has been affected by sin. And so we're told in in Romans that the whole creation is groaning. It's not as it should be. And Jesus told us that we should expect these these natural disasters. He also showed his power over nature when the disciples found themselves in a storm on Lake Galilee. Remember that incident? A furious storm came up and the waves swept over the boat. The disciples were terrified. They thought they were going to drown. They woke Jesus up and told him to to do something. And we're told that he got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Just like that. The disciples were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. God has control over the world he created. And so we can be confident that the sea levels won't rise and wipe out whole countries, that there won't be some cataclysmic event that wipes the earth off the map before Jesus comes again, before Jesus comes to take his people to be with him forever and recreates the world as it should be. It also means that we can and we should pray for him to intervene in natural disasters. We should be praying for rain in areas of drought, protection from air, from earthquakes in areas of seismic activity. The Lord has the right and the power to rule over what he has created. But what else gives God the right to rule? Well, the Lord rules because he is eternal. Verse 2 says, Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. We know that the, the words of Psalm 103, which we, we often read out at funeral services, are true. There we read the words, We are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. No matter how much we flourish, how much we achieve in this world, our days are numbered. We will all die one day. We will all be forgotten. Whereas God, we are told, created time and space. John's Gospel starts, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. So clearly if we are here on this tiny planet for a brief moment in the space of eternity, and there is a God who is there at the beginning, who created time and space, who, who created people and put them in time and space, who has witnessed history repeat itself time and time again, he must, by his very nature, rule. And the amazing thing is that not only does his existence carry on forever, his love lasts 
forever. Psalm 103 continues, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. The Lord rules because he is, he was, and always will be. Which leads us on to uh, the final point, that the Lord has a right to establish rules for living in the world he created. At the end of the psalm, we move from talking about the Lord as creator and the physical laws of the universe to the moral laws that govern the behavior of those created beings who live in the world that God created. And it ends with a challenge, whether we are willing to submit to the laws of the one who made the world, the one who made everything in it. And the point here is that as a God who is, was, and always will be, he can establish rules that we valid for all time. It says verse 5, Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. God knows that the people he created may become more sophisticated over time. They may continually expand their knowledge of how the world works. They may continue to invent new things that make life in this world more comfortable or safe. But in terms of how they relate to the one who made them and to each other, these laws never change. They are always valid. If people do not accept they were made by God and therefore have no relationship with him, then changing laws becomes a question of just going with the spirit of the time. What anybody feels is right at that particular moment. And if you look back over the past 50 years or so and look at what was morally unacceptable then and see how much has become morally acceptable today, it is amazing how quickly things can change. And that is proof that, that Satan is at work. He's the one who said in the Garden of Eden, don't believe what God told you about not eating from the fruit, from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. He was just trying to maintain his rule over you. He was suppressing you. He's, a, he's an evil dictator. Don't listen to him. And Satan uses the same arguments today, doesn't he? You don't need to worry about that law. It's just there to spoil your fun. And one of the hardest things as parents is seeing Satan working in the lives of our children, saying, you know, why can't I do this? You're just spoiling my fun. The rules that God has given us to live in the world that he has created are for our good. He knows what is best for us. And the choices we make about how we behave towards each other, about how different countries behave towards each other, affects the world in which we live. We're told not to covet. We're told that, that greed is a sin. And yet, as humans, we ignore that rule. We, we waste water resources. We waste all sorts of resources. And so when droughts come, there is no money for food. But we know that at a personal level as well, don't we? In many people's lives, the seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Life is chaotic. And much of that chaos in many people's lives is self-inflicted. It, it comes from striving for one's own throne. To say, actually, 
I don't want God on the throne. I want to be king. I want to make my own rules. And if you are someone here this evening who's not a, a Christian, can I encourage you to acknowledge God as your creator, as your redeemer, who the one who loves you, who wants what is best for you. We have all rebelled against his perfect rules. But through Jesus, he's given us an escape route. He's given us a chance to be forgiven if we repent and follow him. But for those of us here this evening who are already Christians, the challenge for us is living in a world that has rejected the laws of the God who created that world. We need to get people thinking about God, about their relationship with him, about the one who made us in the first place, the one who deserves to to rule over us. But we also need to, to ask God for his protection as well. That was the, uh, the part of the, uh, the Lord's uh, prayer that we looked at this, this morning, wasn't it? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Living in a world that is constantly rejecting God's laws is dangerous because we will be tempted by Satan to ignore them as well. And the thing is, it's often subtle because as people's views about what is morally acceptable change, we may face ridicule at holding on to outmoded views. We may face over time the fact that what we want to do to worship God, what he says in his word, we are not able to do legally. That may be the case one day. And we need the courage to stand firm, knowing that the people who are ridiculing us, and some countries, the people who are persecuting Christians, will be here today and gone tomorrow. But God will be here forever. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. So as we finish in a world of uncertainty at an individual level as well as at a national level and an international level, We take great comfort from the fact that we have a God who reigns forever. Who has the power to reign, who has the right to reign. Because he is eternal, he is unchanging. And he reigns with love and compassion to serve those he has created. Let's um, spend a moment of quiet just speaking to that God, that one who reigns over our lives and maybe bringing him to him an area of our lives where we feel uncertain, where we want his reassurance that he is in control, that we need to know that, that he will make that clear to us. And let's bring that to the Lord, to our sovereign God. A moment of, of quiet. Oh God, we do praise you that you created this world that you are in control of it. And as we just look at the world around us and see how it somehow keeps going, we are amazed that you should do it in that way. And Lord, we thank you for the comfort that that gives us to know that you are in control because you are the eternal God. 
for the Lord, we acknowledge also that this world doesn't work as it should do, that it is a fallen world, and there is tragedy all around us. That even in our own lives, there may be things which we are struggling with, things that don't work, whether it's our bodies that don't work because of health. Maybe it's uh, problems in our life situations, our homes, our workplaces. Lord, in our worry and anxiety, we come to you and we give you our anxieties and we pray that you would take them, remove them from us. Lord, reassure us that you love us, you are in control of our lives, whatever uncertainty lies ahead, that you are there for us, that you will go there with us, you you will never let us go, you will never abandon us. And we thank you for that reassurance, Lord, that there is a hope for the future, that we will be with you forever. We'll be with you for eternity. And we praise you for that, the eternal God. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.